And welcome back, everybody, to episode 30 of Rounding Third, the baseball podcast. Lots of good things to talk about today. Um, I'm pretty heated about the Cardinals-Mets brawl. We'll break that down. Rizzo goes deep three times. And we'll break down kind of what's going on with the balls this year and why there are a lot less homers and less runs being produced as usual. But we'll get into it. Today, I consider myself the luckiest man on the face of the earth. All right, James. Um, so lots to discuss here. Um, we've got lots of current news to go through. We're going to talk about the balls. We're going to do our weekly rounding third player watch, player we're high on, player we're low on. And then our lock quote of the week, even though we're over 10 in our combined bets that we've said on air. But we got lots to talk about. Uh, James, anything to say to the people to kick it off? Yeah, I mean, it's just I, – I know a couple episodes I, I said that the, the starstruckness uh, of baseball being back had left me. It's come back. I mean, just, again, that baseball on all the time um, and all these stories to talk about, not taking any of it for granted. Just so awesome to be here. And, again, you know, episode 30, nothing crazy, but, you know, a little bit of a baby milestone and, and happy to keep uh, chugging along here and rounding third. Yeah, definitely. Well, I'm ready to jump into it because I've got some stuff to say about this. So for people who haven't been watching the past three games, the the Cardinals have, and Mets have been in a pretty intense series, obviously two of the better teams in the National League, the Mets being, you know, one of the, the hottest teams in all of baseball right now. Um, but both of these teams came into the series having not lost a series yet. Game one was crazy. Cardinals were up 2-0 with two outs in the bottom of the ninth. And a once-in-a-generation Nolan Arenado error and Giovanni Gallegos refusing to cover first uh, led to a 5-2 Mets heartbreaking win in game one. Game two is where tensions kind of started rising. So the Cardinals got hit twice in this game. The Mets got hit four times in this game and tensions were high. You know, the, the umpire had to warn both dugouts. Max Scherzer was yelling F-bombs across. Buck Showalter was, you know, freaking out on the Mets dugout. And the, the Mets won that game as well. And so coming into today, the Mets were looking for the sweep of the series. And uh, it was a really good game. A lot of highlights, high-scoring game. Cardinals ended up winning 10-5. But the real story of this was late in the game, Nolan Arenado was at the plate, uh, no no count, first pitch of the at-bat, no outs. Um, and the Mets go for a high heater up and in. Um, and immediately things start, start getting intense. Nolan is a pretty hot head. Um, he immediately starts yelling at the pitcher. The pitcher starts walking over to him. The catcher tries to get in the way of Arenado, who's approaching the pitcher, and Nolan just throws him to the side. Bench is clear. Bullpen's immediately clear. Um, Pop Warner, who's the Cardinals' third base coach, totally tackled Pete Alonso. Um, so it was pretty intense. And so there's, you know, baseball Twitter was blowing up. If you're following us on Twitter, you saw some uh, – pretty good back and forths with some people because to me, you know, what everyone's saying is, Oh, the Cardinals are so soft. Like why'd they blow this up? Which I agree. I think Nolan should take some blame for making this into what it was because he didn't need to react that way. But at the same time, like, look, I thought if there was a, a close pitch in game two, the, the benches would have, uh, the benches would have cleared. And I think if the, if the, Cardinals threw up and in on a Mets player, I think the same thing would have happened. Uh, tensions were just really high in the series since game one. And, you know, I, sure, uh, Nolan can take some blame, but you're throwing an up and in fastball with clear intent. You know, people were yelling in Twitter that, well, it didn't hit him. Like there was no intent. It wasn't even that up and in. Like it was, it was clearly an, an intentional fastball up and in early in account in a blowout game where, you know, 
it, it, in an already tense, uh, tense series, things were bound to blow up. And, and that's what happened. And, you know, everything ended up fine. Nolan got ejected, whatever. I don't think it needs to be a big, made a big deal of. But there was lots of back and forth about it. And I, I want to hear what your opinion on this is, James. I mean, ultimately where I stand is I take it from, you know, you have some of the back and forth, some of the history, as you mentioned, of the series. And, of course, the Mets all year, they've been getting plunked. And it started off with their opening series where they got plunked five times versus the Nationals. Um, they lead the league with 18 hit by pitches. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that's a ridiculous number. And, and you just, but I don't think that story, you know, just because you get hit every time doesn't mean the second a new club you're facing hits, you get to leverage all of that. But taking the moment solely from Nolan's shoes, I kind of have both perspectives on it where, uh, well, I think it was kind of badass that the catcher just got on the wind. He's just get away from me. Get out of here, you freak, yeah. and just manhandled him. I mean, you knew Nolan Arenado is a beast of a baseball player. Didn't realize he was jacked to the point where you could just one-handed toss 240-pound men. Can do that, no problem. But if you're him, yeah, if you throw a 96-mile-an-hour fastball anywhere near my head, I'm going to want to take your head off. I mean, if that hits you in the head, and we've seen pitchers get hit with, you know, line drives back. We've seen batters get plunked in the face. That can do some serious damage. So, I mean, you have to look at just a human perspective. You know this guy was trying to hit you in the head with a 96-mile-an-hour fastball. Yeah, he maybe didn't act correct, but, like, I'm not naive enough to say in the same situation. I'd look at it, they would give the pitcher a nice thumbs up and say, let's play ball. Like, you know, tensions are going to rise. He was trying to take your damn head off. Um, I agree. It was probably a little more than what it needed to be made into it's weird initially i kind of liked nolan's reaction which was just looking at the picture like we serious we doing this and it was like if you want it like come get it but then he kind of shifted into being more of an aggressor took a couple steps to the mound which obviously if any batter takes a step towards the mound and the catcher doesn't try and interfere that catcher has no heart and honestly i don't think you can have him catch another game for you like you just you have to be there to protect your pitcher yeah, and I don't necessarily want to, like, place blame on anyone. Like, everyone was like, oh, the Mets have been hit four times, like, and we dealt with it fine. Like, I agree, Alonzo getting hit in the head was bad, right? That didn't look good. Um, but it was clear, it was an 80-mile-an-hour changeup, so it wasn't a fastball, and it was clearly unintentional. And the two other times, they were plunked in the foot, barely hurt anybody, right? And the Cardinals got hit twice, too, and they were unintentional. And Chris Bassett, even after game two, he was the starting pitcher for the Mets, said that this is a fundamental problem with the balls that are in play, and we'll talk about that later, but the pitchers can't get a grip, and we've seen more people get hit this year already than pretty much any other year. Um, but I, I agree. Like, Nolan, if you're in his perspective, tempers have been fl- high this whole game, uh, this whole series, and we know in baseball, like, this was a perfect time to go after somebody and, like, cause a little bit of mayhem. It's a, It's a blowout game pretty much it's late in the game it's the last inning of the series um and it's a zero zero count like send one up and in and you know get him on his feet a little bit um and I think what Nolan was kind of saying is like you don't need to come at my head with that like just hit me on the shoulder like if you want to do that then come on let's go um and that's kind of what happened and I agree from Nolan's perspective it's like you know what do you want him to do we've seen him in Colorado go after some guys um, but, and, and it's just, you know, he, a fastball is coming up and in at him and we've seen the tensions high this whole series. Um, what do you want him to do? Um, so I, I really think this isn't, this isn't anything to, you know, make a big deal out of at the end of the day. It's not a super big thing and, you know, but it is one of the unwritten rules. And I know we denounced some of the unwritten rules last show, <laughs> but one of the ones that I do subscribe to is like, you do not throw any heaters above shoulder height. That's just like, you just don't do it. You know, like you said, plunk him in the elbow guard, get the ribs. That's going to hurt, leave a nasty bruise. I mean, but you don't take the head off, you know, because when you step away from the diamond, you still need your face intact. Um, and, and that's in jeopardy. The only other thing I'll say about the brawl, uh, having no allegiance to any team in the brawl, I enjoyed the brawl. Uh, you know, I'm a baseball <laughs> fan. Primarily and secondarily a hockey fan. The big knock is in baseball brawls. Everyone runs in, the bullpens run in, the bench is clear, and then they stare at each other. As you mentioned, this was not the case. You had bodies getting tossed, people getting trucked. I mean, it was a proper little skirmish, little scrum. 
so so that was pretty exciting you know that that was a legitimate you know about almost remind me a little bit of when uh Pedro Martinez tossed uh, that Yankees coach down by by the head in that duel. You know, maybe not quite that action-packed, but definitely a fun little WrestleMania uh, in the middle of the infield this afternoon. Yeah, and I, I mean, like like I said, I, I think this is a bunch of nothing. Like, you know, Nolan took offense to the pitch, and, you know, bench is cleared. It happens. Um, I, I'm looking forward to the next Mets series. And I think this was, you know, I said this before, this was the biggest test for the Cardinals yet. And if I'm just being objective, they should have won the series, you know, like that game one up two runs with two strikes and two outs. I get it. They lost, but God, that one was robbed. Um, and you know, it's a bunch of nothing. It happened. Everyone's fine. It Diamondbacks. It was tomorrow. robbed, but I'm still holding it accountable. I mean, your your claim has long been, and it's a claim I support that Nolan Arenado is the best defensive third baseman in the sport, which I very much agree with. I think he's proved that has the platinum glove, has the nine gold gloves. But you can't make that error. I mean, games on the line. You are here to be a cornerstone of that infield. Got to make the toss, and of course, right. as you mentioned, there was no backup coverage, but. It was an uncharacteristic air and only magnified by the circumstances of the game. No, you're right. Like, like we, I, when I say I, we should have won, like we, we didn't, we lost. Nolan made an error. Giovanni Gallegos made an error. It happens. Um, but it was just kind of, it seemed like we were probably shooting at like 95% to win at the end there and, and blew it. Um, but what can you do? I, you know, I, I've had a, uh, I'm, I'm good talking about that. If you want to move on to the next issue or, or topic, which, yeah, which I, is kind of relevant, you know, I mentioned it a little bit. Yeah. And I'd say uh, just to segue in, as you said, you know, Chris Bassett really was the first MLB player to sound off on the balls. We know they've been an issue all year, uh, but to take that direct stand and, and basically call out the MLB and say the union has said these balls aren't working. The stats are showing they're not working. Uh, and Major League Baseball's response is nothing. I mean, they're they're just non-issue for them. Um, and I guess to cue it up, um, we have new baseballs, as we see almost yearly. The biggest difference, I think, would be that now there's these humididors and all of the stadiums that they're keeping these baseballs in to try and bring about some uniformity, if you will, or some sort of, you know, equal general baseline but according to Chris Bassett it's done quite the opposite and he said that even in the same game that the balls aren't even the same inning by inning he says the balls that he's pitching Mm -hmm. with in the third don't resemble the ones in the fifth that don't resemble the ones in the first and that in itself is insane just that you can't even get consistent balls what are you using 20 game balls in a game how can you not have consistent balls for the 20 balls that are in the exact batch from the same stadium that's crazy right And for some context, like the reason that the balls are kind of an issue is everyone's saying that there might be, you know, they might be dead balls, meaning, you know, the hitters aren't hitting as well. Um, Runs are down, batting average is down, home runs are down. Um, Right now, there's an average of four runs per game that teams are pushing across, and that's the lowest league-wide since 1981. the league's .232 batting average right now is the lowest all time. And like James said, there are these humidors or whatever they are called in all the stadiums, which, you know, is like you said, supposed to provide some uniformity across ballparks so that, you know, the ball flies the same in Cincinnati as it does in Pittsburgh or, you know, wherever, across all ballparks. So maybe that's attributed to it. Um some people have said, you know, maybe it's this rookie class that's coming in that's bringing the batting average down because they're not batting as good, but I don't really buy that. It could be the, the shortens. Go ahead. I just I have to push back on that instantly and not even looking at the stats, just the eye test. And there's been a couple managers throughout the league, Dave Roberts, one of them, who has kind of vouched for this. But we're seeing players annihilate baseball, square them up, barrel them as perfect as you can and just hit monster exit velocities, have the right launch angle, and they come up on the warning track. I mean, just an example, um, last night, Justin Turner nuked a baseball. I mean, I was sure as day it was out of the park and it was caught, you know, six feet short of the wall. And and that's not the only – I mean, there has been 
countless times all season where you just see balls hit and you're like, oh, that's gone forever. And it's 20 feet short. And it's just like, it's a huge discrepancy from what we're seeing. And like, if you barrel a fastball perfectly and you have any semblance of power, that should be gone. I mean, pretty much. And that's just not the case. And as you said, the the rookie class, I'm not putting any credit to because how many people are even in this rookie class starting? Maybe 20? Um, Yeah, right. Yeah, I, I, I... Yeah, I read this article. They're trying to figure out what the issue is and why run production's down. And it, to me, it seems like the balls is the clear indicator because I, I read an article from The Athletic that talked about how last year, and I think we touched on this in an earlier episode, how they would rotate between two different balls, one that had you know more juice in it and one that didn't. You know, The one they had more juice they used in you know big primetime games to get run production up, which is pretty, you know seems pretty unethical. But I, I read that this year they're only using the lesser one, um, and, and that which, should be causing it. Which poses to me, so if they were already doing this, treading the ethical line on delivering the juice balls versus not delivering them, as a means clearly of marketability. Um, I mean, to, to a casual fan, here's the deal. If you're a casual fan and you only click in for the World Series, all you want to see is highlights of people mashing home runs. That's really it. You know, not too many casual fans are really interested in the mental aspect of the game, which is fine. But again, these terrible numbers, I mean, a league-wide batting average at 232 is atrocious. The home run, like, you're taking a lot of the excitement out of a game that I think the league has a ton of effort into revitalizing and trying to market and trying to recapture some of the major four market share that they've lost in the last two decades. And this isn't the way. And what's even stranger about these balls is you have hitters complaining. You have the fans complaining, you know, saying offensive production is down. These balls are terrible, but the pitchers aren't happy with them either. Mm. So you have a ball that the pitcher hates and the hitter hates and is bad for marketing. So it's like, what are we doing here? In the pitcher's perspective, of course, they love that the home run power has been stripped away. They love that the batting averages are down. But as Chris Bassett said, they can't grip the ball. That's why we've seen all these, especially on the unintentional stuff, we've seen all these players hit, you know, the Pete Alonso 83 change up to the head because they can't grip the ball. And, of course, the league has had, uh, you know, really locked in and focused in on the spider tack issues last year. I've noticed that the spider tack checks anymore. The ump basically high fives them a little less serious. Yeah. You know, and I remember the first week of the extra chucks, you had Max Scherzer basically take his pants off the belt. You know, they were like strip searching him like TSA. Um, Not doing that anymore. But again, if you, while that's an element of the game that isn't allowed and you want to get rid of, you took away any substance type things that were helping pitchers get a grip on the ball and then are giving them a ball that already doesn't have a lot of grip and it really is creating some dangerous type situations. And that was Chris Bassett's argument. He's like, you know, not only can I not grip it and pitch consistently, I'm worried. He said, there's a couple pitches that got away from him. The pitchers are just worried because they also don't want to plunk batters. Like it's not fun. You give up a base, you could hurt someone. They're professionals. That's not what they're looking to do. So it's really a mystery to me why there's not more action on this ball that is frowned upon by pitchers, hitters, and fans. I mean, who does like the ball? Just Rob? Right, right. Yeah, and that's a good point that we've seen pretty much everybody against these. And it just, you know, and I imagine there's some type of, um, you know, it's some type of equation of all of these things contributing to home runs going down. You know, the humidor probably has something to do with it. Um, short and spring training probably has something to do with it. But I think all in all, it is these balls, you know, we're just not seeing home runs hit. And, you know, even watching this Cardinal series, O'Neill got a hold of one, Goldie got a hold of one, and both, you know, even the announcers, Dan McLaughlin said, you know, it, it, they thought it was out immediately off the bat, and then it was, you know, short of the warning track. So, you know, we're seeing something. Um, to to me, that's a great hope- gauge, too, because – the, you know, a lot of fans, myself included, you know, you'll see something off the bat and misread it. But like those play by play guys don't miss. I mean, they cover 162 games a year. They travel with the team. Right. I've seen more in the shortened season play by plays just miss and go, oh, he nailed it. They've done it with Shohei. They've done it with Judge. You go down the list and 
they've called it out off the bat as home runs to then have to reevaluate their calls. It's called out the warning track. So it's like, even when you have those guys missing, you can tell there's something in the ball that, that is preventing it from, from flying with contact. It could be the weather too, you know, a little bit colder um, this early, but the sample size is big enough that a 232 batting average is ridiculous. Uh, and you know, we're not blaming the rookies for that. I mean, that's insane. Right, right. Yeah, I'm with you. I guess we'll have to see. I mean, there's also the fact that typically at the beginning of the season in the March and April months, you don't see as many home runs because it's not as warm out and the ball flies better in the warm air. But I also don't think that's, you know, once again, maybe that's part of it. But I think it is these balls that, you know, pitchers, fans, batters are all complaining about it. We'll have to see if some type of change occurs in the next weeks, in the next several months, if we see run production go up um, or, you know, any type of league communication regarding the balls. We'll have to see. We'll have to see. Um, but, James, how about we turn to the next topic? Um, I think I think this topic will, you know, we can go through this briefly. I wanted to talk about, you know, there are kind of three teams that we've seen thus far in the MLB kind of just really look a lot better than other teams um, and, and specifically three national league teams. And there are, you know, we've seen teams like the blue Jays, the Mariners, even the Yankees teams that are, have good records and have been playing well, but three teams that just seem to be the three best teams in baseball right now are the Mets, the giants and the Dodgers. And just to, you know, quickly run through some of these stats to provide some context, those three teams, giants, Mets, Dodgers, are the top three in runs scored, the top three in run differential, the top three in RBIs. Uh, the Mets have the second best on-base percentage. Dodgers have the fourth. The Mets lead in hit-by-pitches, as I said. They have the three fewest runs averaged per game as a pitcher, so allowing the fewest runs. They have the three highest pitcher win percentages, the three lowest ERAs. The Dodgers have uh, the fewest hits allowed by a pretty large margin with the Mets at third. There are three of the four teams with the fewest runs allowed, uh, the Cardinals being the other team. Mets have the most Ks by a big margin. They are the three highest ERA plus, which is kind of the adjusted ERA, where 100 would be the, the, league, the league average, and anything up that's, you know, 150 would be 50% above the league average. They're the three lowest FIP, which is fielders uh, independent pitching, so how well the pitcher does independent of the fielding. And they have the three lowest whips, which is basically how many runners you allow per inning. Uh, the Dodgers and Mets have the two lowest hits per nine from a pitching standpoint, meaning they allow the two fewest hits per nine. They have three of the four lowest home runs per nine from the pitching perspective and three of the four highest total team win above replacement. And so, you know, these are all major stat categories that these teams just seem to lead in all of them. And, they really do have the three biggest uh, run differential by a pretty big margin. I think both the Giants and Dodgers are around 42, 43 above zero, and the Mets are somewhere in the 30s. And on the Mets, real quick, they, they have already have a four-and-a-half game lead in the NL East. The next best team is the Marlins at 8-8. Eight and eight. They haven't lost a series all year. Um, and the only time they've had a better start is in 1986 and 2015, where both of those years – the Mets went to the World Series. So, James, I mean, I guess my question is to you, are you surprised by any of these three teams? Obviously, you know, we can't be surprised by the Dodgers and maybe not the Mets either. And, you know, you're a big Dodgers guy. But what do you think about this? Yeah, I think to me the the standout um, would be the Mets, and that would be one. All of this is without Jacob deGrom, the consensus right. best pitcher in baseball. So it's like, oh my gosh, if you already have these league leading pitching stats and you're adding the best arm and the offense is clearly there, it's terrifying. Also from the eye test on the Mets, they seem to have that intangible that you can't track. This team can finally come back in late games. They can rally, as you mentioned. Sadly, you your team was on the, the wrong end of that. Um but they also have that intangible, which is something that I've seen a lot of Mets fans talking about that they have not had in years past. The Mets look terrifying. Francisco Lindor looks like he may have spent the summer in Cleveland learning how to hit again. I mean, he's been electric as ever. I mean, the Mets are terrifying. Quite frankly, I'm looking at them. It's not someone that I want to match up as a Dodgers fan. I'm sure you have the same sentiment as a Cardinals fan. And, and God forbid they get Jacob DeGrom healthy and keep 
this right. momentum rolling. I mean, it's going to be a terrifying team to play. The Giants, I don't give any credence to it. Um, and this is a completely really? baseball take. It's simply because I can't stand the Giants. I'm still frustrated with their shenanigans last year. And I'm not sure I'm mentally prepared to have them beat the Dodgers in the NL West again while the Dodgers have another franchise record-setting year that really ticked me off. I don't know. I don't like it. The thing that breaks my mind is like the San Francisco Giants roster is good, but it's not great, yet their their outcomes the last two years have been more than great. They've been exceptional. They seem to be keeping that up, and it, it annoys me because it's like you're as successful as the Dodgers are outspending you nearly by a magnitude of 2x. Right. So yeah, don't really want to talk the about the uh, Giants. The Giants are definitely the biggest surprise there. You know, everyone expected the Dodgers to have, you know, the, this type of run production and look this good. And the Mets, too, you know, the Mets are, have one of the highest payrolls, if not the highest uh, in all of baseball. Um, Dodgers and, are one. Uh, and two. Dodgers are one. Mets yeah, and two. Dodgers. So I guess it makes sense. So, I, I mean, the Giants are the obvious surprise in the mix. And like you said, like they don't really have, you know, a name like Mike Trout or Freddie Freeman or anybody like that. But they have, you know, these guys, Brandon Bell, Brandon Crawford, Yastrzemski, Jock Peterson. Um, they're just getting good production in their pitchers. I mean, Logan Webb and Rodon in particular, they're just dealing like crazy. Um, and I don't know. It's something about that team. I think Gabe Kepler is a good I manager. I think it's Gabe Kepler. I'm I'm right yeah. there with you. He's phenomenal. I hate it. Yeah, but like he's great. Yeah, he is. I, and it's interesting to see if they'll keep it up. You know, we if you remember last year, obviously you remember like early in the year they were exceptional, and everyone was like, "Oh, they'll they'll tail off at some point," and they just never did. Um, winning 107 games. Who knows if they will this year? But I think that's just interesting. I wanted to bring that up that those three teams have kind of separated themselves to an extent. I think they're like the S tier teams. And then the A tier would be like, you know, these other good teams like the Mariners, Blue Jays, um, maybe, maybe Cardinals, if I'm being biased. Um, I'll put the Cardinals there for you. I'll move into the A tier. I I would argue that Toronto could be an S tier team. They don't necessarily have the stats there, but just that team is going to be tough to play in the playoffs. Certainly. Yeah, I agree. I think they could be there. They lead the league in home runs. Um, they just seem to win every night. Like last night, they won on a walk-off sacrifice uh, fly from Toppy in the 10th after a four-run comeback or something in the ninth. They just, I mean, they're just loaded. Gossman's dealing for them. Barrios had a great start the other night. They, they probably are up there, too. They're definitely the best American League team right now. Yeah, and I think there, there's no question. And the last thing I'll add just on, on this topic is that the Dodgers, unfortunately, looks like they're about to drop. Yep, game's final. They dropped the series to the Diamondbacks. Um, fortunately, wow. you had a terrible loss last night where they out-hit them but got outscored. <laughs> you know, just one of those games where, like, they, they stranded so many runners. You know, today, again, 1-1 game going into the eighth, execute a squeeze play, another air. That's how they got there, too. So – Unfortunate stuff there as a Dodgers fan. I'm not worried at all. It's a long season. You know, they're already playing extremely well. Um, so that'll be fine. Good for the Diamondbacks. They need the revenue. They need a couple wins. It'll help them get to that season uh, over under. Cardinals start a series with them tomorrow. Yeah, and that's, you know, luckily Dodgers get uh, Detroit now. So that's a little bit easier. And Miggy's not chasing 3,000. So happy to not have to deal with any of that cloud. Um, but yeah, that's just kind of a preview, I think, of of really the heavy hitters we've seen now. I hate that the Giants are still there because you almost have to respect, like at a certain point, this argument of like it's luck is out the door. Like it's not. They just, like we said, I think it's Gabe Kepler. He somehow can turn an average lineup into a super team. Stud manager, he was very well-deserving NL manager of the year last year. Maybe he repeats again. I don't think the writers like to pick repeats. So, so we'll see, but... Pending, you don't have anything else to move. Seeing as we just talked about the Mets, I say we move on to another story about their New York counterpart, um, and that would be traveling to the Bronx, Yankee Stadium, where Anthony Rizzo last night had his first three-home run game. You know, hat trick, anytime you mash three home runs, that's an incredible career-type game. But I think that there's some caveat needed that I was not really seeing in the media. 
Um, and I guess I'll lay it out there and get your reaction, Max. But everyone knows Yankee Stadium has the short right field porch. You know, it's it's not even it's it's a crime to quantify it as home runs or anything. They have this like it's basically if you can bunt past first base, it's a home run in Yankee Stadium. So of the three home runs Rizzo hit last night, Max, the average distance of all three was traveled feet of 350 even. That means he hit three home runs with an average distance of 350 feet. Those are not even college or triple-A home runs in most stadiums. And, you know, I'm not trying to take anything away from Rizzo. I think he may be the, one of the more likable players in the entire game, you know, and still a monster performance. I never have hit an MLB home run, never will hit an MLB home run. You know, he clearly did three of them, but it's just like, Man, incredible performance. So, like, are we ever going to talk about this porch and the fact that, like, if you're at Yankee Stadium, if you can if you can bunt in the air, you can get a home run on that right field wall? Like, what is this? Yeah, right. I mean, that's, that's what you get for playing in Yankee Stadium. And I think, you know, I don't think this is the major reason why he stayed in New York, but it's an extremely lefty-friendly ballpark. You know, if you're a lefty and you can pull one over the short wall and right – I mean, why not stay there? And, and yeah, even watching the game, it's like off the bat, some, you know, we were talking about earlier how off the bat some of these look like home runs and they're not. I felt like with him off the bat, some of them just looked like pop outs. And then they just, they're two rows deep in this short home run wall and right. One of those was the dinkiest home run I think I've ever seen in my life. I was sure it was going to be 30 feet short, like just routine pop And even if he drops it, like plenty of time to throw and get him out at first. And it's just like, oh, sorry, Yankee Stadium, that's a home run. And, and you know, quite frankly, I think if you put Cody Bellinger in Yankee Stadium every day batting for home games, he hits 60 home runs a year. I mean, it's just, look, when you can hit three of them and your average distance is 350 feet, it's just crazy because in a lot of parks, if you hit 350 feet, the fielder's not even moving. They just watch yeah. it into their glove. Um, so, you know, monster performance there. But I do think, I don't know if it's a petition we need or something, but we got to get that wall pushed back a little bit. I mean, can we at least get that 360, 365? Like, what are we doing down there? It's just crazy in the Bronx. I know, like, real estate, it's hard to buy. There's not a lot of land. But, like, dude, this is cheese. <laughs> it's Cheddar Cheese Avenue right there. It is kind of cheese. I mean, even watching the games, it's like they, when you look at right field, it's like immediately the home run wall. It's pretty funny. Yeah, and it's like, you know, it's not – obviously the team playing them has the exact same advantage. They also can hit a 335-foot home run. But the Yankees are getting to bat there 81 times a year. So it's like, man, those stats. So, I mean, maybe it's not terrible. It's running up some of the Yankees' contracts because they're like, well, I did hit 55 home runs last year. It's like, well – if you look at that, right. 30 of those only counted. And uh, and it's one of the balls hit by Rizzo only would have counted in one MLB stadium, Yankee Stadium. And that's the <laughs> whole thing where it's like, dude, it is literally Cheddar Cheese Avenue. But props to Rizzo. I also think it's hilarious that he's wearing 48 because the Yankees have like 50% of qualified numbers retired or some ridiculous stat. And now he's <laughs> yeah. just like smashing 300-foot home runs, number 48. And I did another prop to Rizzo. He did the little MJ, like, trot shrug after the third one because he's just like, I, I don't know what to do. Like, I touch, the, I touch it. It's basically a check swing, and I touch it, and it's a home run. I mean, it's like the Midas touch of baseball. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, good for him. I mean, it's a lefty-friendly ballpark, and if you're a good lefty hitter, why wouldn't you want to play in New York? I mean, jack up those stats. Rizzo, I, like, I don't consider Rizzo one of the biggest power hitters in baseball anymore. But, you know, I, he, I think he has like six or five or six, seven home runs on the season. I know. I think he's up to eight last night, took the league lead. Really? Wow. And again, so like league lead home run stats, where's my asterisk? Like, let's check some distances. <laughs> let's get some average distance charts going. Um, but again, you know, and that's probably a good thing. The ball can't fly, which hinders you in any park but Yankee Stadium. Because like, oh, well, the ball can't fly, but it can still get you 340. But I think we've talked about it at nauseum, you know, it's Yankee stadium, you know what you're getting there. Um, and I think that moves us into our player watch for this week, the round and third player watch where both Max and I will give a player that, that we're hot on. That's had a nice little run. It's looking spicy and a player that has had a, a subpar run and is not necessarily helping their team a ton right now. And Max, so, so I'll kick it to you first. Who is your, 
hot player who's looking nice you know who, who do you have to be watching this upcoming week yeah um so i'm going with a pitcher here i'm going um i'm going with logan gilbert from the seattle mariners um the mariners have been pretty hot recently i think they're 11 and 6 right now you know they've looked like the team that everybody you know, we're hoping they might be a contender in the AL West and pushing, yeah, you, James, uh, a contender in the AL West looking to make the playoffs for the first time in a long time. And, you know, Logan Gilbert's 3-0 and uh, in four starts so far. Uh, he has a 0.4 ERA. You know, he's barely given up any runs thus far. His strikeouts per nine is just at nine. Um and he has the kind of a ridiculous stat that I don't even want to say, but his ERA plus, which like I said earlier, is like adjusted where 100 is the average. His ERA plus is 886 right now, which means he's 760% or 786% higher than the league average, which look, he's four starts in. So this is kind of funny to bring up, but he's been really good for that team. Um, and he's been a big part of that rotation with Robbie Ray. That's hoping to really make a push in October. Who do you have? Well, mine is, you know, again, got, I love the Mariners love, you know, love that. They definitely need some extra pieces, and we've seen them start to pull it together a little bit, especially as the umps have have stopped the league-wide mandate to ruin Julio Rodriguez this year. Um, they started calling him honest, and he's picked that up a lot. But my player, I have to go all the way back to my preseason prediction, my American League MVP favorite, Byron Buxton, just coming back off an injury, uh, and he has put together a little bit of a monster week since coming back. Um, he had a the four-for-four four game where he had a homer, an RBI double, and the very next game he had a, a two-home run game with five RBIs, including the walk-off home run and extra innings. Uh, he's just been a beast. Uh, of course, the graphics have just come out showing that the Twins without Byron Buxton uh, have are like minus 15 below 500 with Byron Buxton. They are 38 games above 500. So he's very clearly a game changer. He's electric, great defensive center fielder, covers a tons of ground. The bat is huge. He's hitting for power. He's hitting for contact. And he really is to me, like the Minnesota twins may or less be named the Byron Buxton show. I mean, they've got the other pieces yeah. there. You have your Oshella, you know, you have Gary Sanchez, you have some fun things, you know, Correa, obviously, but like the graphics showed it, the stats have showed it, and his recent play has showed it. Like the twins with Byron Buxton are someone you have to watch out for on the schedule without Byron Buxton, you know, you can keep the ace on the shelf. That's how I put it. I mean, he's been a monster and the baseballs don't seem to bother him. He has been clobbering things. Uh, and, and his walk-off home run is 469 feet, the longest walk-off home run in the StatCast era. And it was no doubt from the start. So Byron Buxton, scorching hot, looking for him to continue this progress and uh, win AL MVP and make me a little bit of money. Yeah, and that's funny because we were talking about how the balls aren't flying, but they're flying for Buxton. Some players, they just either Anthony Rizzo in a short fence or Byron Buxton with actual home run power. Somehow you got to get it done with the baseballs. And who do you have that's uh, cold or, or having a little bit of a slumping maybe yeah i'm gonna go with a guy on a pretty bad team and a guy that you know you faced uh this past series and that's kettle Marte. um you know he's not you know you know one of these big name players but he is an all-star and he signed a five-year 76 million dollar contract with that team prior to the season but he's over his last 18 He's batting 140 with an on-base percentage at 200. His uh, he has 20 strikeouts to only five walks. He's let to, he's uh, yet to hit a homer, and he only has five RBIs on the season. So he just hasn't really been good, and he's on a big slump right now. You know, oh for his last 18, he hasn't got a hit in five or so games. Um, so he's had a really tough start to the season. And, you know, that's that's honestly surprising given that, you know, even in the series with the Dodgers that the Diamondbacks were able to win, he didn't get a hit in the whole series. So, um, yeah, you know, maybe not the brightest guy and uh, or brightest shining guy, but he's had a really tough start to the season.
Yeah, and I think what's also important is while he's not the best player in baseball, he's certainly very, very good, and he is the best player by far by a huge margin on his team. And if the Diamondbacks really want to realize any success, they're going to need Marte to really pick it up and lead this team because, like, he really is probably the only player on the Diamondbacks that, like, either one of our teams would even consider adding. I mean, and not even in like a shot type way, they're clearly rebuilding for another season. But like, if that's really your only all-star level player, you can't afford to have him just disappear on you. And, and he has been battling injuries a little bit, but you know, not like he was last year. Yeah. And it's just tough when you pay a guy that much money, like, you know, coming right off the extension, five years, 76 million, got like a $5 million signing bonus and he's coming out and performing like this. It's not what you want to see, but obviously it's a long season. So he'll pick it up. Who do you got? Who's the player that you're not liking thus far? This one's a little bit interesting. I may be a little bit off with this. You may have some pushback here, but I was looking to, you know, <laughs> bring a bit of a take here. And that's, you look at the standings, you look at the National League East, and what you see is a, a Philadelphia Phillies team that's that's fourth in their division and a roster mm. that really should be outperforming that. And a big part of that, in my opinion, has to be shouldered. If the Phillies want to win, they've made it clear that their style is going to be we're going to smoke the baseball, we're going to hit the long ball, and we're just going to outscore you. We don't care about defense. We don't particularly value pitching. We care about outscoring you. Burden of that has to rest on the reigning National League MVP, two-time mm. National League MVP, Bryce Harper. And while he hasn't been particularly real bad or slumping, over the last week, he's batting 250 with one home run and three RBIs. So it's not a terrible week, but I look at a team that is underperforming, certainly below 500. They gave us that great Sunday night baseball game that I didn't much enjoy watching. And Bryce Harper has been okay. You know, these numbers aren't bad, but we know what you're capable of. At one point you were the highest touted prospect in baseball. You have been the face of baseball throughout times in your career. You've won the two MVPs. He started spring training with seven home runs over what, 10 games. And it's just that production, like you're pitting up average production, you know, and, and the way I would say about this and not, not to like, change this or make this Dodger centric, but like just compare that to Cody Bellinger, who has way outproduced him, but is batting in the eight hole and not particularly that important to his team's success. So Bryce Harper, while not playing terribly and still getting some base hits and batting two fifty over the league average, not dominating as he should be, in my opinion. Interested to hear your feedback on that take. No, I mean I think it's a good take. Um you know, I agree, you know, and, and this point, the point of the segment is not necessarily to pick like who's the worst player in baseball, um, but it's to pick guys who aren't performing up to the level that we expect of them. And yeah, that whole NL East division other than the Mets is kind of in a weird spot. But yeah, the Phillies, obviously Bryce Harper is the face of that franchise reigning NL MVP. You expect something better. And I think right now, you know, I, and I think he would shoulder a lot of the blame for that team. I think he would step up and do that. So I think it's a good take. All right. Well, that, well, that's the player watch. Definitely got some some different divisions uh, all over, AL, NL, West, East. So covering a lot and, and some players to watch. And, and we hope they pick it up. I mean, baseball is better when Bryce Harper's annihilating the cover off the baseball. It just is. It's one of those guys. A lot of people love to hate him. A lot of people just love him. It's good for the game. Love to see him pick it up. Yeah. There you go. How about we um, go to the lock of the week to wrap it up? Um, so for some context, so the lock of the week, obviously different from our Sunday night baseball bet. Um, we, we are 0-4. No, we're, no, I think we're 0-12 now, right? 0-4 on the lock of the week, right? Yes, we're 0-4 we're on lock of the week. That's an 0-2 from both of us. Um, coming into this segment. So, you know, the lock of the week, I think, at least in my mind, I've gotten a little too fancy trying to play, trying to play the law of averages, which I would note, um, you know, my last lock of the week that I picked was the Cardinals to be upset by 
the Reds led by Hunter Green. And unfortunately, I had a gut feeling the Reds would win a game in that series. I was spot on with that. I just picked the wrong game. I also happened to get the worst start in Hunter Green's short, short Major League Baseball career. Only sample size of three, but I got number three. Couldn't get the fastball to 100 miles an hour, which I preface with saying for context. It shows how good he is that people are like, oh, my gosh, this bum's only throwing 96-mile-an-hour fastballs, which is like a higher velo than most MLB pitchers can even get to. But so I got a little fancy there. I like the strategy. I stand by it because eventually they did win a game. I just can't get it right, and I really want us to nail a lock here. I, I think we've we need got to. to. We've got to. We have a responsibility. And what was your lock of the week that did not – hit you know i'm trying to remember did i pick the cardinals in that marlin series i thought i did pick them the last game of the marlin series and they lost but i'm i don't i honestly can't remember if that's what i did or not i think it was yeah i think it was i think that was your luck of the week because i remember you guaranteed the sweep and that whole thing kind of set mm-hmm. off my because my pick was predicated that they would sweep the marlins and then eventually like statistically st louis is probably not going to win 15 straight games again uh, but you know i don't know what you prepared i like my pick uh if you want me to just okay. get into that why not uh, so, go ahead so and i think we've talked it kind of works well and again i made this pick really before we got into this episode, but it touches on all the teams that we've talked about, and that's got to be a premier National League East matchup. We've got going down Friday night where the Phillies will travel to City Field and take on the New York Mets. You have Tyler McGill pitching against Aaron Nola. Um, Tyler McGill having a great season, 3-0 on the year, about a 2-5 ERA. Uh, Aaron Nola not having the best season, but his last start was a great start in that Sunday night baseball game. Um, and we saw what the Phillies did with a great start from him, absolutely squandered it and wasted it. So my thoughts, I wanted to pull it back. I wanted to get a little more simple and I'm going real easy. I have the Mets to cover the run line minus 1.5. So to win by two at home behind Tyler McGill. And I'm banking that Aaron Nola does not have the same type of, great shutout game that he put up in Sunday night baseball a little bit of a risk. Cause again, I'm taking a team that has the power, has the names, you know, Aaron Nola has had a great game coming off a great game. So we'll see, but I'm really confident this Mets team seems to have that edge and I like him at home against this Phillies team. Uh, no, uh, money line is, or, or the odds are not out. So, um, I don't actually know what I'll be taking the Mets one and a half, but that's how confident I am in the bet. I, I don't care what that is. I'm all in. I'm hoping to get about plus 110 odds there just because I'm taking a run line, um, but they are at home. And we'll see. Hopefully that is my first lock of the week that hits. I'm confident in this one. Max, what do you have for us? How are you going to take us to hit in some of these bets? Yeah, I'm going to do a little bit of a longer bet. I'm going to take a series. Um, and I'm going to take a... I think it's a Thursday, it's a Friday, Saturday, Sunday series, Blue Jays at Astros, or Astros at Blue Jays, excuse me. And I'm going to take the Blue Jays in the series to win two of the three games uh, from Houston. I know, you know, they're playing the Red Sox now, and they're playing the Rays before that, and they play the Yankees after that. They've got a tough schedule. But the more I watch this team, I, the more I just think they're able to get the job done every time they go. And I think they'll, they're a good home team too and so i like them taking care of business against the astros and that you know I, they'll be the favorite obviously but you got to get a win at some point in here so i'll take the the worst odds to get a win in lock of the week well and you know what what's interesting about our two bets is that as we desperately need a win desperately need to call a win on air for a bet you know we could look at some of these super lopsided matchups and just play the fact that more than likely they'd go that way but really both of our teams that we're going up against for you the Astros and me the Phillies they're not necessarily easy teams I mean the sure the Phillies are as we talked about fourth in their division below 500 but they have the lineup to do anything on a given night the Astros are the Astros they've got good pitching you know they've got a great lineup so you know 
and not that it gets any brownie points, but again, for context, you know, we're, we're trying to bring some good bets here, some exciting bets, but also not necessarily just, just go ahead and poach the easiest matchup we can pick week to week. Yeah, I, I definitely think, you know, we're not taking the easy way out. We got to fire our way out of this hole um, and we're, we're making it fun. Uh, and, and definitely, so I guess we'll see when I'm confident enough in our picks that when we secure that first W, hopefully we have a two for two, there's going to be a little bit of celebration because there's definitely a monkey on our back, you know, starting over 10, we're slumping, you know, from radio guys shows how hard baseball can be. Um, and I think, you know, we got a little cute, got a little cute early on trying to play some parlays, trying to get a couple like weird player <laughs> props rolling. You know, I think this is really just cutting it back to the basics, trying to load in what we know, what we've seen, and uh, apply that. And hopefully we're making you guys a little money. Of course, I would not be mad if you faded us. Statistically, the best way to make money from the Lock of the Week segment is to fade it. But we're going to rewrite that narrative one win at a time, starting this Friday, concluding this Sunday with a little Mets victory with a little Toronto win the series. Hopefully we're celebrating two for two next week. Yeah, I think so. I think we will be, but we'll have to wait and see. Um, But yeah, I mean, James, nothing else for me, really. That's the show. And again, I would pitch our Twitter rounding third now, rounding three RD now. And that's because we have a ton of action going on there. Um, Guys in the mentions talking, especially about this Mets brawl. um, Tempers are high. Tempers were super high, you know. Um, they've called the podcast stupid. They've said we need to smarten up. It's just all over. So, you know, I'd love to get everyone's feedback and what you thought on the, the brawl. What have you seen out of the baseballs? And just in general, you know, are you seeing what what we're seeing, you know, in terms of who these teams are? And let's go. Maybe I'll drop a little poll um, tomorrow after the show, uh, sort of a petition, if you will, on if we need to move the Yankees right field wall back a little bit, similar to how the Orioles move their, their left field back. I think so, we do. See, I think we do. Let's see what the people think, though. We'll see what the people see. So go load up the poll, go vote in it. I'll keep it active for uh, a launch at Thursday, and I'll keep it active through the weekend up till Sunday. Um, and we'll see what goes on. But that's really the updates I have for now. You know, stick around. We will be back with a post on Monday recapping the week, um, as always. And, Max, it's truly been a pleasure. Always excited to hop on here and talk a little bit of baseball. Yes, sir. 30 episodes in. Long way to go, but just a good ride so far. Yep. Talk to you guys later.